Hello, and welcome everyone to the sixth edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast for the 2020 college football season. My name is Adam Cole, and I'm joined by our other two Missouri football beat writers at the Columbia Missourian, Max Baker and Andy Kimball, and we're coming to you from a pre-recorded podcast on Thursday, October 29th. Guys, how are we doing? I'm doing good. You know, this week went by pretty fast, and we've got another football game on Saturday. It's kind of exciting. The whole month's honestly gone by really fast. I mean, it really seems like just yesterday, like I was driving to Knoxville, which was crazy enough, I think like the second day of October. And now, I mean, we've got two days left in the month and it's it's really been pretty super jam-packed in, in terms of SEC football. The season's halfway over after this week for Mizzou. That too, which is just like mind-boggling. I don't know, it's it's gone quick. Obviously shortened season, but it's, it's, it's very much gone quick. Missouri has kind of had a surprising last two weeks. Um, I think with their wins and now fun fact they control their own destiny in the SEC East Um, not a high likelihood I think that they had they have really two tough games coming up so but I mean hey if they win those then who knows what will happen yeah and we'll certainly we'll get into that a little bit later but kind of to start things off going back a week ago um, Missouri took on a Kentucky team which it had not beat in the last six seasons I believe that'd be um, the last time they won was in 2014, and um, they had two weeks to prepare. Unexpected bye week with uh, the Vanderbilt game getting postponed, and they they certainly um, they certainly used it well. At least we can assume because they ended up beating Kentucky for the first time in six years uh, by a score of 20 to 10 um, here at Memorial Stadium in Columbia. What's uh what what in particular stood out to you guys most about that performance? I think the game plan kind of stood out to me because you watched LSU, the LSU game, and you saw them pass the ball. A bunch of receivers, you know, that like were pretty unexpected coming in. You Towski Dove, Dove and Boo Smith and all those different Michael Wilson, different receivers. And then against Kentucky, they kind of took what Kentucky does and did it to them. And they just ran the ball, you know, 62 times um, for, you know, just all over them. I mean, they dominated the game offensively and, you know, minus – a couple decisions where they should probably should have kicked a field goal or probably, you know, on fourth down inside the red zone. They really like dominated the game. And it was it was surprising because that's what Kentucky did to Tennessee. I think it was just one or two week one week prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been one week prior. I think they went to Neyland Stadium. I think they had like nine interceptions um, coming in. Right? Really? Yeah, it was like a it was like a ridiculous. It was a ridiculous beatdown of, of Tennessee on the road. Um, but yeah, I definitely think the one thing that stood out to me, I think in large part was you mentioned the game plan and that was probably, I think the initial thing, but like it was just, I guess all the ways in which that, that showed itself. And I think one of the ones that is definitely understated, but still worth mentioning is the fact that like, I think the defense to very much, you know, the defense adjusted in the way that like it needed to, because you look at that LSU performance and I'm still kind of baffled that they beat LSU while allowing Miles Brennan to throw for like over 400 yards, four scores as well. And this game, obviously, you're going up against a very different quarterback in Terry Wilson, who, you know, I came into the game, I think, with four passing touchdowns on the entire year. Um, and, of course, they shut down the passing game, but, you know, they very much had to meet Kentucky up front at the line of scrimmage. Um, and so I was really impressed by that and the fact that they were able to shut down the run game. I think they only had 95 total yards. And then Larry Roundtree, too, was incredibly impressive. I think he had what, 37 of those 62 carries? Mm-hmm. And he's, I think, 60 or so yards out from becoming the program's all-time leading non-quarterback rusher. Um, 
So definitely a lot of positives to see. Andy, what what uh, what stood out to you? Yeah, I think kind of having being able to win with different styles it was really important because I mean if you look at other newer teams, I mean Ole Miss and Mississippi State are very high up tempo offensive teams that try to beat you with their offense, and they've kind of struggled because they haven't always been able to win games that way. And Missouri showed that they can win in an up tempo high paced game against LSU, and then they could win in a slower paced game where they need to control the ball against Kentucky. I think- and I mean, sorry, I guess their ball control I think was the most important thing in this game. Just because Kentucky's offense really predicates itself on wearing you down in the fourth quarter with the running game. And when you're Missouri's defense and it's the fourth quarter and you only are on the field for your 35th, 36th play, then, I mean, you're not worn down at all and you're able to deal with it pretty easily. What was the, because I know the time of possession breakdown was like absolutely ridiculous. 43, to, 43 minutes and 50 seconds to 16 minutes and 10 seconds. That's just absolutely nuts. And there was that, that what, 21 play? 10 minute drive to kick off the second half from Missouri that ended in the that ended in the turnover on downs in the red zone which was I think probably the most questionable thing and Drinkwitz very much owned up to that after the game um but uh no it was certainly like it was really promising to see that and it's funny too because you you go back and you look at what Drinkwitz did a year ago at App State too and I think he was 2-0 and in, in games where he had more than a week to prepare and I think those were wins against North Carolina and Louisiana both really good teams last year and the impression that like I've always kind of gotten with him is that if you give him enough time to prepare he's gonna do well and I think maybe the only exception to that was of course the Alabama game at the start of the year and might be you know a little different because he didn't have a whole off season and you know and they're Alabama yeah and they're Alabama that's the other really big factor there but um certainly interesting to see and you know it'll be interesting to see this week too because he said they were a little ahead on their Florida game plan and preparation but before we get into that, kind of looking at the SEC across the board, the last... If I might add, I just, mm-hmm. I was, the one last thing that I think that probably goes unnoticed, and I think Drinkwitz even mentioned at the end, is the, just like the performance of the offensive line in that game. Because I think when we came into the football season and we saw, you know, Zeke Powell, Xavier Delgado, you saw Mike Maietti, who you hadn't, I mean, he started 33 games, he's probably the most biggest veteran, but you didn't know what was going to come with this offensive line because... To be honest, like they were of the three guys, they lost three guys to the pros. They lost Hyron White to a season ending shoulder injury. The the offensive line was like sort of one of those areas where you thought maybe they, you know, they might be bottom part of the league. Probably, you know, even maybe the worst in the league. You didn't you didn't know. It was just a big unknown. And the way that they kind of came out with a game plan and ran the ball sixty two times behind that offensive line, and even when three offensive linemen I think got banged up in that game, they continued to just run the ball. And I think that's just really surprising they've been sacked the third uh fewest of any team in the league so far um florida's right behind them but they've played one less game um so i just think i think that part of the missouri team probably goes like pretty unrecognized by most people but that's definitely uh just a big thing that's been happening and i think larry borm to this point he hasn't allowed a quarterback pressure right? it was it was up until the um kentucky game and i wasn't sure if he allowed a quarterback pressure in that game i you know Pro football focus keeps track of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, up until the Kentucky game, he, he was the best. He was, I think, the only player to not allow quarterback pressure. Yeah, and I think also with the offensive line, they're the biggest reason um, for that ball control and that like 21-play drive because when you're trying to have those sustained drives, you're trying to get ahead of the sticks and have like short plays on third downs, which they convert a high percentage of. And to be able to get in those positions, you need like good offensive line play that avoids any negative plays. And I think they avoided negative plays really well. And that was kind of why they got to hold the ball for so long. 
Yeah, and certainly, um, I think it was Larry Borum, Xavier Delgado, and then I don't know who who the third lineman was who went down last week. Um, but we're still up in the air on whether or not they're all listed on the depth chart. But Drinkwitz was mum this week in his press conference about who would actually be out for the Florida game. So it's still something we certainly need to stay tuned for. Um, but before we kind of get into the specifics of the Florida game, um, looking at the SEC this last week, there wasn't really a lot. We had another we had another Auburn moment, um, I guess is, is what you'd classify it as, because the week before, um, or I guess that would have been two weeks before, um, Auburn won after a weird spike fumble, looked like a fumble that ended up getting called a spike, and Arkansas probably should have picked it up and held on to the ball, but Auburn held on week passes and now we've got the game against Old Miss which was kind of another conundrum of a of a late game play. The game was back and forth the whole time and then Old Miss has a kickoff to Auburn where the game is it was 28-28 I, I think, believe or it was 28-27. Yeah, yeah it's 28-27 Mississippi was Yeah, this is loose leading because of the extra point. And so then the ball it appeared to bounce and go off the returner's finger and just go through the back of the throw into the end zone before an Old Miss player pounced on it. Which, if it had touched him, obviously it's a fumble. Um, but they ruled that the ball didn't touch the Auburn player, and that was just a touchback. Ole Miss's coach Lane Kiffin was obviously not very happy with the decision after, and he was fined because it's an SEC rule that if you tweet um, anything complaining or disparaging officials, then you get fined for it. But Don't retweet. Yeah. Stay off Twitter. What did that tweet end up being? Because it was a retweet, right? I don't know. He tweeted a lot of things. I, I, in the I, last I, couple of days, he's tweeted a lot of things. I don't remember the specific tweet that got him fined, but there were... He, I think he retweeted a GoFundMe for his... I saw fine. the penny thing. The penny thing was yeah, funny. Yeah, the penny. Where he, and he couldn't figure out how many pennies it was going to take to pay the fine. Uh, he, he kept replying and realizing that it was more pennies than he thought, mm-hmm. which was really... He's like, Does anyone, wasn't it like 10,000 pennies or something like that? He's, yeah. He's like, you needed like 10 million. <laughs> yeah. Was the thing he tweeted about a dog related? I saw that he retweeted something about a missing dog. That that could have been completely... I think that was completely... That not. was just a completely different thing. I, I can't imagine okay. those two would be related, but if they were, that's... Well, wow. If you find a missing dog in Oxford, I guess, DM Lane Kiffin. Um, he's been on Twitter, so... He has. He's respond. been very active on Twitter. Um but bigger than kind of, I guess, the last week and, and maybe that one notable moment in the SEC, we're at the midway point. Uh, this week will be week five for most teams, except for maybe Florida and I guess Vanderbilt. Um, but halfway point of the season, and we've kind of got a very, I guess, muddled SEC East and, and things look pretty normal in the SEC West. Um, Andy, I know you kind of broke that down in the SEC roundup this week. Yeah, I mean, basically in the SEC West, it's Alabama's to lose. I mean, they've been far and away the best team in the conference so far. I mean, they're 5-0 and and have, are outscoring teams by over 20 points a game, which in a Power 5 conference is pretty absurd. And they have like a two-game lead over everybody because they beat Texas a and they, they do, yeah. So they have a two-game lead over yeah. everybody halfway yeah. through. So And the team they play with the best record the rest of the season is Auburn, who's 3-2. and two. So I think... You know, you can never guarantee anything, but I think they're close as any team could be to a lock to make the SEC championship game. On the other side, though, it gets a little complicated because Georgia having Alabama as that cross-conference matchup kind of gave them a loss and made that more complicated because now, now I mean, I guess they go up against Florida in that game in Jacksonville is what you would think would be the decider for who makes it. But Are they still playing that in Jacksonville? Like, you might be right. Yeah, the schedule um, on 
each athletic department's website this it says this it's scheduled for Jacksonville. Okay, that's what I, I thought they kept it there, but I wasn't yeah. I wasn't positive that they. I mean, I it's the world's largest cocktail party. Is that what it, that's what it's called? The rivalry, I think. Yeah, something like that. I think I'm messing up. Maybe missing a word in there, but it's a fun yeah. game. Yeah. Um. But. An odd wrinkle is because Georgia and Florida both have one loss. Missouri would be a win away if we have the head-to-head advantage against them um, and being tied for first. But, I mean, that's very unlikely because it's a first-year team. But, I mean, it's pretty much muddled um, with the three of them. I mean, Missouri's best chance is probably if they beat Florida this weekend, they kind of ruin Florida's season and give Georgia an easy road. But Yeah, I think I, they, they ruin it in a sense, but I still think Florida could end up maybe beating Georgia. Yeah. That's and true. then Georgia would have two losses as yeah. well. So I don't know. I think yeah. there's, yeah. In yeah. terms of like ruining their college football playoff hopes, yeah, maybe yeah. it would probably do that. Um, but I'm interested. I'm interested to see what Missouri does. Do we Are we making final score predictions? I don't even know what I would think. I think, well, I think before we even get into final score predictions, which I, I guess we will make as we do every week, mm-hmm. regardless of how arbitrary they may be. At least I know from I've been wrong, myself. I think, every week. Yeah, no, I've definitely no. been wrong, I think, most every week too. But um no, looking at like the Florida matchup, it's really interesting. I know Max, you just mentioned that like they really do have a chance to beat Georgia, and it's funny because I feel like at least in the Dan Mullen era, they've kind of been just outside of that that um, upper tier of like the SEC teams. They're like, which is like funny because it's like the bottom half of the top ten in the country. You know what I mean? Because it was like last year they weren't up to LSU, Georgia, and Alabama's caliber, but like it feels like this year, if any they're probably as close as they've ever been to that. And I really think, you know, a lot of that has to do with um, Kyle Trask and, and Kyle Pitts, their, their quarterback tight end combo that's been really good for them so far. They've really been dominating offensively. Um, and it's funny because at the end of the day, I don't I don't know that they've necessarily had an incredibly stout defensive performance any time out to this point, but they're still able to really just kind of light up the scoreboard through the air in particular. And I think that'll probably be the biggest challenge for Missouri this week and it'll certainly be interesting especially when you look at that LSU game and the fact that you know they were able to really hold LSU and get them off the field on third down despite them passing for over like 400 yards we'll be able to see if they can sort of replicate something like that this week but um definitely definitely an intriguing matchup especially considering that Drinkwitz has had as much time as he he has had to prepare Missouri's young corners are and secondary are going to be Tested. I mean, Kyle Pitts, seven tu- seven of the team's 14 receiving touchdowns, and then Kadarius Tony has four in three games, which, like, you look at that, you know, Kyle Pitts gets all the attention, but he's got, you know, four touchdowns. He's caught over a touchdown a game. Um, so I think Missouri's secondary is just going to be tested. Their, their, their run game, I mean, we haven't really seen a whole lot of it yet. I think their leading rusher is, like, 130 yards on the mm-hmm. season um, and just one touchdown. So I think you're just going to see a lot, of, a lot of passing in this game um, from Florida. And probably a lot to those two guys. I mean, you, everyone else on the team, you know, they don't they they use those two the most, and it's yeah. not even really close. I think what's going to be super interesting is because I know Drinkwitz mentioned it um, on Tuesday. He mentioned that a lot of times what uh, Mullen does a really good job of is is getting Pitts into a position where he's typically one on one with a middle linebacker. And my first thought was, okay, then you get him one on one with Nick Bolton. And so I think that'll be a really interesting test for Nick Bolton. But it's also like, you know, if we get to this one on one and you know, Missouri realizes, okay, Pitts might be a little quick for, for Bolton. I, I think it'll be a really interesting test for uh, probably Josh Bledsoe, I'd say. Uh, one of those safeties at least. And, you know, I mean, they've got they've got um, Gillespie and, and Bledsoe were touted as like the safety duo coming in. And Martez Manuel, who's a sophomore now, has 
you know, had a really surprising season. So I'm, I'm curious if they have, I guess remedy probably isn't the best word, but uh, you know, something that they can do to shut down pits um, and kind of take away that weapon. Um, I think that'll be probably the most intriguing part of this week. Cause you, you think with all the talent they have, that they could, they could do it. But um, certainly uh, we'll see what happens. Score predictions. I think I, you know, I picked, I think I picked Missouri to lose every week. Which is, I don't know if that's fair or not. They've been the underdog in all four games, but I I think Missouri might actually go in there and win this week just because they're playing Florida at the right time. They're playing Florida at a, you know, when they had thirty one COVID positives and six more on Monday. I think was announced or between Tuesday and Monday. I mean, I don't think Missouri's the better football team, but I just think Florida, having not played or practice in a couple weeks is just going to put them at like a pretty big disadvantage, at least from the start. You know, I normally say like, if that was the case and there was, you know, they were playing in the swamp with 90,000 fans as somebody maybe wanted. If they packed the swamp. If they packed the swamp. If, yeah. But I obviously listening to local health officials. Um, <laughs> they, I think that, you know, coming out flat would be, you know, it'd be different, but I, I actually think Mizzou goes in there and I think they win. I think it'll be one of the surprising, I think they win like 30 to 27 or something at high scoring um, I could be dead wrong, but that's I, I think that Mizzou's playing them at you know a good time. Their defense is rested. I don't think their defense was on the field very much last game, and then they had the bye week before that. I just I think Missouri is just fit, you know coming into this game at the right time, and that's just kind of what it's happened comes to this year. I do want to say before we go forward with more score predictions, kind of just a very quick abridged breakdown of, of what has happened with Florida and COVID because it's probably been the biggest storyline for them the last couple of weeks is right after the the Texas A&M game, that was their first loss of the year. Uh, I think that was when Mullen had his pack the swamp quote, um, which he backtracked on, I guess that would have been three days later, and which he simultaneously announced um, – <clears throat> That uh, well, he didn't announce it. The athletic department announced that uh, the football team would be suspending team activities indefinitely because of a rise in COVID cases. Um, the Alligator, uh, which is the student paper at the University of Florida, I think ended up reporting that there were like 19 players who ended up testing positive, and Mullen disclosed that two assistants had tested positive too. Later that week, he tested positive himself, um, and this Monday. Um, he said that I think in total 34, um, I think players have tested positive over the month. Um, and they reported six more new positives on Monday, but he also said that they'll have 53 scholarship players ready to roll this week. However, he did not disclose due to injuries, COVID, whatever else he didn't disclose who might be out for the game. So, um, that's honestly a really good point. I hadn't even (laughs) really thought about how much they might be at a disadvantage because, you, you don't know who's going to be out, you know? What, what if Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts are out? Right. I mean, I, it, you know, that's what you always think of. And then last time Missouri had all those players out, they, you know. It they won, too. Yeah. You just, you think, I don't know. You think about that. But I just, even if they are there, I just think being flat for two weeks, I don't know what they're allowed to do in the two weeks other than sit in their apartment and, and quarantine. Quarantine. Like so, Fortnite. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, like, Ford will still be okay. Um I mean, it is like the perfect time. I don't think there will ever be a better time for Missouri to play Florida. You're right, Max. So I think it'll be close. But if they have Pitts and Trask, I don't think there's really a big chance of them losing that game. Um, which my final score prediction will be 45-35 Florida. I score and take the over. Take the Andy over. Co- college football, you almost always take the over. I kind of, I'm, I guess I'm in, I'm kind of torn. Because like, Max, you're right. It definitely is like, 
the optimal time. You know, I think the spread's 13 and a half. It's just really okay. It's that lot. close. So that's closer than I figured it would really? have been. I think yeah, because I think I think Florida might arguably be remind me of like the early 2000s Chiefs with like Trent Green. We're always just high flying offense, but they didn't really have a lot of defense. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure Missouri pulls it out, um, especially when you look at just how good like. I would say Pitts has been in particular, and you also have Kadarius Tony right there as well. I do think it's going to be like ridiculously high scoring. I guess if I had to go with a final score prediction, I'd say like 48-41 Florida, I guess would be my final score. Um, I could see it being close and just like a lot of like, I guess, dueling, but like I think Florida comes out on top. So with that, we will now transition into everybody's favorite part of the podcast, by everybody's, we mean our. Our our favorite part of the podcast, um, the mascot melee. And here's the breakdown. Each week, we're going to give you our predictions for who would win in a fight, Trim and the Tiger or Missouri's opponent's mascot. Um, but as we've been doing the last couple weeks, as we've been doing the last couple weeks, uh, we're adding in a little more variety. That way, you guys don't just get muddied down with Trim and the Tiger every single week. Um, and we're going to pick our favorite mascot matchups from around the country. And honestly, Max, I know we've been leading with you usually, but I know you have a pretty, a pretty, a pretty well laid out to a pick this week. So I think we're going to hold you for last. And okay. Andy, we'll kick things off with you. Yeah. Um, so the mascot matchup for me this week is the Eastern Carolina Pirates versus the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Um, I think it's a very realistic matchup that, you know. It's very fitting. Yeah, it's very fitting. Um and, you know, I just think it's two very unique teams. Um, I think Tulsa wins pretty easily because, historically, Pirates and Chips haven't done too well against Hurricanes. But, um, I feel like, historically, Pirates just haven't... Like, I feel like if, historically, Pirates had done well, they'd still be here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, fair. It's not, it's not in their odds. Yeah. Jack Sparrow is not... Yeah. The, the creation of of navies hasn't really done them a whole lot of good there, there you go if, if it was the pirates versus the midshipman that would be that would be like that, one of the matchups of the year that, honestly that'd but. be that'd be very baller i would love that but yeah so yeah i'm gonna go tulsa pretty easily so rough luck for the pirates there you go um i'm going with a with a big 10 matchup this week you know what a conference don't you guys just love nebraska does anybody outside of nebraska really like Nebraska. That's a good point. I don't think so. Exactly. Exactly. Did you say they were the, the New York Knicks of college football? Yeah, that's what I would describe them as. I yeah. think that's a pretty good comparison. Unfortunately, this week's matchup does not include Nebraska because they will not be playing this week. Um, there are a lot of COVID cases at the University of Wisconsin, so they've suspended football activities indefinitely. But my matchup this week is, I think, a pretty fun one. The Minnesota Golden Gophers versus the Maryland Terrapins. A go a go for being golden. I don't know. That just adds some brashness to it. We really enjoy that. And then Terrapin, I've always known was a turtle, and it always looks pretty gnarly in like their their mascot photos or whatever else. But I looked it up, and a terrapin, its its definition, as Google says, is a small edible. You heard that right, edible turtle with lozenge-shaped markings on its shell found in coastal marshes on the eastern U.S. This is a tiny freshwater turtle that I think we're encouraged to eat. This is like an edible mascot. Like, like I don't get it. I don't get why you would make your mascot something that gets eaten like very frequently. Granted, I could probably be proven very wrong on that very quickly. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I think I'd have to take the Golden Gophers in this one. 
Um, just because I'm, I'm not going with a turtle that gets eaten frequently. A tiny turtle that gets eaten frequently. I still think it's a fun one. Yeah. Oh, also, the gopher's got those big teeth. Like, one bite of those and Case it's over. in point, like, he can break the shell. Yeah. There you go. It, it's over for that terrapin in a heartbeat. And now, Max. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's close this week. I think <laughs> Purdue, Illinois, I mean, you have... First off, it's a major Big Ten matchup. Like, you don't... Illinois? That's that's a Big Big Ten matchup. Illinois, What's their record this year? They only played one game. They're all in one. Like, what was their record last year? It wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Purdue, let me tell you why I like this matchup. Purdue Pete got into some trouble this week. Uh, let me tell you. I don't know what happened with Purdue Pete. I didn't really know Purdue Pete was a thing. That's actually kind of a cool name. But he was arrested one day, or I believe it was one or two days ago, for using his vehicle as a weapon in a McDonald's parking lot fight. And, like, I don't know if Purdue Pete has been, like, listening to this podcast. And, like, I, I don't think he was fighting another mascot, but he was fighting somebody. And he's – that's just – and they're facing the fighting Illini. Like, what are the odds of this, like – The fight is on. Yeah, I mean, like, there is going to be a lot of fighting. I don't know if Purdue Pete's going to make the trip down to Champaign. But if Purdue Pete makes the trip down to Champaign, then, I mean, that is going to be oh, – Man, is he gonna bring his car? I don't. I I hope. Well, not. It'd be a, it'd I be, hope not. I hope. I don't even. I don't know much about this. I just saw the headline on. It would be a Saturday train. down yeah. south that I didn't really read much about the article, but I saw that Purdue Pete was arrested, and that you know, obviously, again, this is not this fighting thing is not real. We do not encourage fighting. Um, but yeah, so I I, I like Illinois this week. I think Purdue might if, if Purdue's gonna be without Purdue Pete. I mean. It might just be like an automatic forfeit. So give me Illinois. I mean, Brandon Peters, quarterback, transfer from Michigan. You got Moses Akpala, went to Ladue High School. I mean, I don't think he's going to play, but he went, you know, Ladue High School. You got a rep. I mean, Purdue Pete, you know, Boilermakers came out strong last week, but, you know, tough news. Where did you go to high school, Max? I went to Ladue High School. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Incredible. Yeah. So Moses Acapala, I mean, offensive lineman, special shout out to him. I don't think he's going to play this week, but the redshirt freshman. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I like him. I like them this week. Incredible. Well, getting into it, um, our main matchup of the week, of course, is once again, Truman the Tiger uh, versus Albert the Alligator. And we'll give you guys a little brief rundown of Florida's mascot history. No live mascot this week. I think this is the first time in, I want to say, three weeks or two weeks. Well, you allowed multiple mascots to be used some I, weeks. I know. So hey, I, we, some weeks we, we don't, didn't, not, we we didn't don't make agree. mistakes. We yeah. all make mistakes. But Albert is a costume mascot. Uh, but formerly, Albert was indeed a live alligator. Um, in 1957, um, Albert, the live alligator, actually started making appearances at football games. Like, there would straight up be an alligator in the stadium. Um, but then, in 1970, the costumed version of Albert arrived. And 14 years later, um, he was joined by his loving partner, Alberta, the alligator. Um, and they both often appear as a couple, uh, but they also appear alone. And according to Max's research, I believe on their bio pages with the university, it is said that they hold each other's hearts. So they, they're not. You said that in a way that makes it seem like they're married. They're not married. They're, they're not friends. married. They're, they're good friends. friends. They're, they're good friends. friends. This is all. This is all platonic. This is. I did not realize that. I got to be honest. They're with you. friends. Okay. They are not married. They're not married. According I, to, I think it was Wikipedia. I obviously, trustworthy. Always use that site. That source. But that that high school. When teachers we get to, always say to never use. Yeah. 
but you, you, mascots, that's I, good to we, know. We recommend Wikipedia. It gives a lot. Of, yeah, no, it gives a lot of good bits. Yeah, it gives a lot of funny things. But this week we will have Truman um, and Albert specifically, not Alberta, not Alberta. She'll okay. be she'll be watching from the sidelines, cheering. So hypothetically, you've got Truman, you've got Albert at the fifty, you've got Alberta on the on the visitor sideline. It's home field advantage for Albert or Albert, but I'm reading about Albert and. He spends a good 30 minutes flossing his teeth before game day? Like, what? What? They, what? I mean, that is just uncalled for, honestly. Like, I don't know that that's necessary. I saw that he was making TikToks every day. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of time for preparation for this battle with Truman. And, I mean, I just because of that, like, flossing your teeth for 30 minutes. Does anybody, in, do you guys floss your teeth for 30 minutes? Especially before a fight. Uh, full disclosure, uh, yeah. I don't really floss until the okay. day I have a dentist appointment. Okay, well, we didn't all need to Don't do tell my dentist that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. That's, I don't know that Albert would like that, but. Don't tell him I said that. Yeah, I won't, but, so I'm going to go Truman for, yeah. For what, the fifth week in a row? No, I think it's the first. First? First. I think it's, I think, it, I think this is my first time picking Truman. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Nope, it's my fifth. It's your fifth? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So I think looking at this matchup, the biggest dynamic is you've got Truman with his own home field advantage, but you've also got Albert with somewhat of an advantage because he's got his own fan base in attendance with Alberta. But I think at the end of the day, when you break this down to these animals and what they are, I just think an alligator moves in such a weird fashion, no matter how quick it moves. I know we always see those videos popping up, you know, of of them tracking down gazelles and stuff, but at the end of the day... Oh, you know what I'm remembering? Have you guys ever seen that video of a jaguar just absolutely pouncing? Yeah, I don't. I didn't know that. I needed to know that today, but I have seen the video. I mean, yeah, no, it's not like a fun video. It's not a fun video. I don't encourage. Don't go looking for it necessarily. But honestly, I'm convinced now. This this is Truman's. He's running away with it. The way that that big cat just absolutely took an alligator out of the water. Give me Truman. Yeah, I think I'm also gonna have to go with Truman. I just don't see an alligator really outside of water and without like the mobility and it's and it's like extremities or having a lot of joints being able to like land any punches like i I mean truman can truman can get you with his feet he can get you with his hands he can get you with his tail he's even got that big head so he can headbutt you you know like does an alligator have that kind of movement like i don't think so so i think that makes it pretty easy it's kind of it's kind of like a waddle you know how you know how coach a quarter you know coaches always say run you don't want to run east west you want to run north south yeah, or you want to run down, you know, not side to side. I mean, I don't even know if east, west, north, south, even though those, those terms are overused because technically I don't think every football field is facing east, west, north, south. That's a good point. But I think that Albert is going to be doing a lot of east, west, if the, that's what the coaches would probably call it, is side to yeah. side, not a lot of, you know, up the field movement. Not a lot of downhill running. No, not a lot of downhill running. Um, yeah, that's, that's I agree with you, Andy. That's, is that a clean sweep? I think that is. Yeah, I think that's wow. the first time we've had it. That, I think that's the first time we've had a clean sweep for for anyone all year, and oh. uh, and with that, um, I 
think that does it for the sixth edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast for the 2020 college football season. Again, I'm your host, Adam Cole, uh, joined by Max Baker and Andy Kimball. If you want to find what we're up to, you can follow us on Twitter at Cole Reporter, at Max Baker underscore 15, and at by Andy Kimball. And if you want to check out everything that Columbia Missourian is up to in its wonderful sports section, you can follow it on Twitter at Como Sports, or you can head to www.columbiamissourian.com slash sports. Sports.